1: It has to be that inward working of the Holy Spirit within a man to bring a man to that point of regeneration, of repentance, and that full acceptance of the truth. Again, the slick presentations, the mood lighting, the music, they they may move our our emotions, but that only lasts for a short while. Intellectual understanding may may cause us to have a, a, a head knowledge but it does nothing to really change the heart. So just the clarity of all the facts and all the details gives you great understanding, but it does not change the heart.
0: Today, Pastor David teaches that a clear presentation of the facts of the gospel message doesn't change lives. It needs to be a work on the inside that person by the Holy Spirit. You need to come to a place of repentance and full acceptance of the truth. You have the head knowledge, but you need a heart change. God knew we needed a Savior, so he sent his son Jesus to die for everyone's sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who will change your heart from the inside out. Will you let him? And here's Pastor David in the book of Acts chapters 3 and 4 as he begins his message, The Power of the Message.
1: We are in our study in the book of Acts. Uh, We are in Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin there this morning by a little bit way of uh, introduction. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, Paul is uh, writing here to the church in, in Corinth. And one of the things that we see in this whole section of his writings, before this and after this, Paul really downplays, uh, again, his, his, his own role in the ministry. And at, at the same time downplaying his role, but he's exalting the power of the message. And we need to understand that as we look at what we're going to see this morning through all, even once we get into Acts. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, look with me down in verse 18. I'm just going to read a small portion of the passage there. In verse 18, Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I find it pretty unique this morning that our, our psalm this morning, uh, again, the fool uh, said in his heart that there is no God. The, the whole idea, that didn't, we didn't plan that. That's just how the Lord orchestrated it. For since in the wisdom of God the world, through wisdom, did not know God, it pleased God that through the foolishness of the message preached, to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign that Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. And to the Jews, it's a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, it's foolishness but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The foolishness of the message preached, God used to save those who believe. If we had time to look at this entire passage, both before it and and after it, uh, we'd see really that, that, that Paul, I believe, is making a couple of things very clear for us. First of all, The world does not receive the message of the cross, by and large, because to them it's foolish. Now, this was true in the first century, and you know what? It's still true 2,000 years later. The message of the cross is just foolishness to the common man, to the world itself. The second thing that we see, and I know we didn't get into that passage, but what we would see if we got into chapter 2 is that Paul speaks of the fact that he didn't come with eloquence here to speak in in Corinth. As a matter of fact, he tells them there in chapter 2, down in verses 4 and 5, he says, I came in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Now, beloved, the important thing that that I'm trying to drive home and that I'm hoping that, that you'll grasp this morning is that the power of the message of the cross comes from the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we're going through the the book of Acts here, we're going to see that demonstrated over and over again. And that's why you and I need to continually understand how utterly and completely dependent we are upon that empowering work and that infilling work of the Holy Spirit within our lives and in every aspect of our lives. We need to understand that, that slick presentations of the gospel message, that doesn't change lives. It's the Spirit of God that changes lives. Mood lighting and, and, and just the right music, that doesn't change lives. It's the Spirit of God that changes lives. And even, you need to understand this, even a clear and distinct presentation of the facts of the gospel message doesn't persuade lives. It has to be that inward working of the Holy Spirit within a man to bring a man to that point of regeneration, of repentance, and that full acceptance of the truth. Again, the slick presentations, the mood lighting, the music, they they may move our our emotions, but that only lasts for a short while. Intellectual understanding may may cause us to have a, a, a head knowledge, but it does nothing to really change the heart. So just the clarity of all the facts and all the details gives you great understanding, but it does not change the heart. A man might give that mental assent to the truth, but the soul's eternal destiny isn't changed. It's only changed with that initial wooing, drawing work of the Holy Spirit, then that conviction work of the Holy Spirit, and it's from that drawing power of the Holy Spirit where we're able to come to, a fully, to be able to fully accept the message of the gospel, not just with head knowledge, but to the very core of who we are. And that message brings us to the understanding of the greatness of our need and also the power of the cross to meet that great need. And it's only when we surrender our lives fully to that great plan of God, and only then will our lives be really and truly changed by that life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit, both for right now as we're living day-to-day as well as for all eternity. Now, with that truth in mind and, and with drawing on that, that, that convicting work of the Holy Spirit... We're going to see in the New Testament that when the gospel is presented, particularly to a, a Jewish audience, and it, I find it absolutely fascinating, as I, I, I've seen this as we're looking through the, the book of Acts. When it's presented to a Jewish audience, a lot of times we find whoever is presenting it, whether it be Peter or Paul or whomever it might be, they tie in the history of Israel. The message of the prophets and the move of God down through the ages. That's part of an understanding for them to know what the gospel message is all about. And it, again, it speaks about the fact that, uh, that our faith in Christ, our, our, our belief in Christ is not based on one singular event that took place on a hillside outside of Jerusalem, or even the the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's that's not the totality of the gospel message. Our faith is actually built upon the fulfillment of the promises, of the prophecies, of that covenantal relationship down through the millennia, and all of them tied together, undeniably interlocked together to bring about the truth of the eternal plan of God. And beloved, without a doubt, the the strongest aspect of God's plan was the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, that is the biggest portion of it. But that event, as the focal point of the message of the gospel, is surrounded by other things, by, again, the building up of that. Without the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, there is no gospel. There's no good news, absolutely. But the fullness of the message, I believe, for every believer, needs to be understood, and we find through the word, the Jew by and large had a better place to be able to understand the fullness of the plan uh, of God than the Gentile did. Because, again, they they grew up with that understanding. And even as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapter 9, he tells us that it's the Jew to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Of whom, the Jew, of whom are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came. Who is over all the eternally blessed God? and gang, the Jew at least had a, a cursory understanding of the Old Testament, and actually a good Jew had much more than just a cursory understanding. They, they, they memorized huge portions of it, they, they, they knew, they understood what it, and they did not connect all the dots. We know that, but they had a good understanding of it. but when you get to the Gentile, the Gentile didn 't have any clue. They they grew up in a pagan background. They had no clue of the promises of God. They had no clue of the prophecies. They they were clueless. And so we see again the, the gospel message coming in different ways to different ones. And beloved, that is the reason, because the Gentile by and large has no clue, that's one of the reasons why we here at this church feel it's so important to teach both the Old Testament and the New You need the Old Testament, you need an understanding of the Old Testament in order that you can actually comprehend the fullness of the truth that's in the New Testament. You miss out on so much of that truth that's in the New Testament if you don't at least have some knowledge of the old. That's why it's so important that we have both old and new. Now with that in mind, that's the introduction. Let's stand for the closing prayer, no. (laughs) Now turn to Acts chapter 3, if you would. Acts chapter 3. Now, last week, as as we were going through this portion of Scripture, we talked about Peter and John going up to the temple, seeing the the lame man there begging, asking for alms, and again, how the Lord used them at that point in time as as Peter and John walked by, they stopped, uh, and Peter tells him, look at us, and so he gave attention to them, and then Peter, with great boldness of spirit, says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus of Na- Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up and immediately the lame man's feet and his ankle bones received strength. We, we spoke about that again last week. We spoke about also the fact that uh, that excited the people there on the temple compound so much that they wanted to hear more and so Peter had the opportunity to be able to share the gospel message to this other vast multitude of people there on the temple compound. We also Read last week how in the midst of that message, pretty much near the end of it, suddenly they got arrested and were put in jail overnight. And again, uh, the, 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 the the focus of the reality of the healing, the actions of, of both the men and the the people there in in the temple. All of that taking place is what we looked at last week. So we're gonna pick it up here in Acts chapter three. We're gonna begin in verse 11. A little bit of an overlay here just to catch everybody up to speed. So Acts chapter three, verse 11 says, now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though by our own power or godliness we've made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate, when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the prince of life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. You know, it's interesting to me. Peter knows nothing about seeker-sensitive messages. He knows nothing about just kind of easing up to the truth. No, he says, you killed him. You called for his crucifixion. As a matter of fact, you asked for a murderer to be released and you killed the holy one, God's servant, Jesus. But this audience, again, they, they were familiar with the, the, all the events of these past few weeks. They, they knew what had gone on. Many of them had been right involved in all of it, even to that point of saying, yeah, release to us Barabbas and crucify this one. Probably most of that multitude had been there during that time. No doubt. This was a powerful, this was a convicting message to them. But Peter brings them back to the point. Look at verse 16. He says, and his name, that's the name of Jesus, and his name through faith in his name has made this man strong whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. So instead of Digging the sword deeper and and, and giving it a twist or two, Peter now, he begins in kind of a turn toward compassion, a little bit of a turn toward hope for these that are listening to him. Look what he says in 17. And he says, yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. Uh, You know, you gotta wonder. I know that you guys were just stupid in the whole thing. No, he, he... you did it in ignorance, and ignorance is not a bad word. You need to understand, ignorance is not a bad word. I am ignorant uh, in, in uh, a lot of things, a lot of things. You don't want me doing your brain surgery, okay? I am totally ignorant of brain surgery. I could watch the YouTube video, but I'd still mess it up. I'm ignorant of that, okay? They crucified the Lord in their ignorance. They did not understand. Paul is, or Peter is giving great grace here as he's sharing these things. You did it in ignorance, as did your rulers. But then he comes even deeper here when he says, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has also thus fulfilled. Peter wanted them to fully understand. Guys, you need to understand, even though you crucified him, and in your ignorance you did it, you need to know that God is still in control. God has always been in control. The death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus, all of those things were in God's great plan. And it was the very sacrifice of Christ that brought about the availability of the forgiveness of sin to all of the world. But guys, you also need to understand that the forgiveness of sin is not automatic. Man has to choose. Man has to determine within his heart, his spirit, his, the, the very core of who he is. He has to choose to receive that sacrifice. And you know what? Even the chosen people had to choose. Look what he says in verse 19. He's speaking to this Jewish audience. He says, repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began." Peter is now moving the message back to what these Jews understood, what they had been trained with ever since childhood, what they would connect with. And the evidence of the message of the cross had always been right before their eyes, right before their eyes. Even even with the foundation of the covenants and the promises and all the events of the Old Testament, the message of the sacrifice of Christ was right before them, but they were never able to completely connect all of those dots. Listen to what he says here in verse 22. He brings them right back to what they know. He says, for Moses truly said to the fathers... The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet just like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets. From Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. So he lays out for them the truth of who Jesus is. He connects it with the reality of what they know already in their training as good students of of the Word of God. He comes with this encouragement for them now to repent. And he reminds them, he he affirms them of their position in God's plan. Oh, he also points them back to God's servant, Jesus. Look what he says in verse 25. You, speaking to the crowd of Jews, you are sons of the prophets and and you are sons of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, Abraham, And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you, to you as Jews, first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. I believe that at that point in time, as Peter was sharing this, that would have probably been the altar call right there if they did altar calls back then or at least a time of, of making a decision. What are you gonna do with that truth that's been given to you? Paul had gotten to that point of his message, but then right at that time, we're gonna see the enemy breaks in and he tries to destroy the plan and the purpose of God. You need to understand this too, gang. Interruptions and distractions always happen. And yes, the enemy still does that today. He will do anything and everything he can to keep someone, even when they are on the very verge of uh, recognizing the truth of the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf, when they're on the very verge of making a commitment of their life to Christ, surrendering their life to him, the enemy is going to draw in a distraction. He's going to do something that will Try to keep that from happening. And that's exactly what happens here. Let's move on into chapter four, verse one. Now, as they spoke to the people, as Peter and John are speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. You see the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection, they didn't believe in angels, they didn't believe in much spiritual life at all. And here, uh, Peter is speaking about the resurrection and man, they said, no, we can't have that, we're gonna get rid of them.
0: Thanks for joining Pastor David today as we study the book of Acts on the Open Word. Though our program has come to an end today, your time in God's Word can continue. It could be beneficial to go back and study today's passage in Acts on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you about what you read. If you'd like to hear more teachings from Pastor David, you'll find them at theopenword.com. We'd love to meet you too. If you're in the Casa Grande area, please join us this weekend at Calvary Chapel, Casa Grande. For directions and service times, give us a call at 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Now let's turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener.
1: Thanks, Chris. You know, as this ministry continues to grow and reach further into the community and around the nation with the message of the gospel, I know the enemy wants to stop it. I also know that prayer is a big part of holding him back. Would you take time to pray for us every time you tune in to The Open Word? Pray too for our listeners, your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, and those who may have yet to place their faith in Jesus. This last category especially needs prayer. It could be that the next message you hear may be the first time they're learning about the hope that's only found in Jesus. Please pray that their hearts would be open and that they'd make a decision to follow Jesus forever. Hey, thanks for praying, and thank you for being a loyal listener to the open word.